Please uh, be seated, everyone, and take your Bible, if you would, please, and turn uh, in the New Testament uh, to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark we'll be reading this morning, uh, the first eight verses there, last Lord's Day evening. uh, We began our study uh, of the Gospel according to Mark, just focusing on that uh, introductory uh, sentence uh, that Mark uh, gives to us, and uh, we thought together about the uh, the need to return back uh, to the uh, the beginning, placing ourselves in the uh, in the sandals of the uh, uh, first disciples, walking with with Jesus, so that we can see him again uh, in a fresh way, uh, who he is and what he has uh, and what he has done. And uh, so this morning we uh, continue on uh, here, Mark chapter one. Verses 1 through 8, and this is the uh, ever-living, ever-abiding Word of God. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In English, I just noticed that uh, John's message rhymed. Uh, I don't think that he was thinking of rhyming when he wrote this initially. That's our English translation. This is the word uh, of the Lord. Friends, the question we considered last time, last Lord's Day evening, that uh, is going to come up again and again uh, in our study of the gospel, uh, according uh, to Mark, uh, we found will come, uh, it will come in the middle of the book uh, from the lips of Jesus, but it's, it's found elsewhere. And it's, of course, that question uh, of Jesus to you and to me and to everybody, who do you say uh, I am. Uh, who do you say uh, I am? And so when we need to realize that when you and I die and we're called to stand before the throne, uh, the first question that uh, King Jesus will ask of you and me, I'm quite sure, will not be, are you Baptist, Presbyterian, or Pentecostal? Uh, maybe later down the road, but not the first question. Um, The first question will not be, what color is your skin? The first question will not be, um, did you prefer singing from the hymnal or singing from words off the wall? The question will not be, organ, piano, or guitar, or orchestra. It will not be, long sermon, short sermon. It will not be classical or contemporary. Which do you prefer? Uh, The first question uh, we will realize throughout the Gospel of Mark, the first question is, is going to be about a person. It's going to be about what you say about Jesus. 
Now, Mark tells us uh, at the beginning, this gospel, this good news, this good message is about Jesus, the Christ, uh, the Son of God. You'll remember later in the gospel, as we talked about it last week, uh, at the end of the gospel, as Jesus is breathing his last on the cross, uh, the Roman centurion will say, truly, this was uh, the Son of God. And uh, so it's all about identifying Jesus. And there are other questions, to be sure, that are important, but none more important than this. Who do you say I am? And this book written by John Mark, you remember, who knew Paul. He knew Peter. Uh, He was a cousin of Barnabas. Uh, So this whole book is a proclamation of what Jesus has done and who he is. And it is good news. Now, you may also remember from last Lord's Day evening, we noticed that this whole matter is a very urgent matter. Uh, The gospel according to Mark is a very urgent gospel. Now, how do we know that? Because we noted last week that in 15, 16 chapters, uh, 35 times uh, the, uh, the author by the Spirit will say immediately or straightway, things are going quickly here. It's an urgent uh, matter who Jesus is, who he is, what he's done, and what I have to say in response. I cannot leave this for another day. Even as the Gospel account comes to me, one item after another, one thing about Jesus after another, I cannot leave my answer to another day. Uh, I remember... Uh, when I was a teenager, talking with a good friend of mine growing up uh, in high school, hung out with him a lot. We were probably 19 or so, 18 or 19, and uh, we both kind of traveled the same road, grew up in the, in the Christian Reformed Church and heard sermons week to week, but we weren't really listening. And um, both of us had not been to church for quite a long time. And I remember talking with him uh, as I was 18 or so, and, um, and him really saying something to me that kind of summed up what we both believed. Uh, at the time, and he said something like, and I asked him, oh, are you going to church? And he says, no, I'm, I'm not going to church. I want to have, have some fun, and, uh, you know, then when I'm older, you know, I'll think about church again. You know, at some time when I get older, you know, that's what old people do. They give thought to Jesus. They give thought to religion, or they give thought to their eternal soul. And, uh, and that's kind of what, what I was thinking back then, too, that I can wait. But, of course, Jesus said, In the Bible, you're either with me, and we could say now, or against me, now. Uh, Those who have the Son, the Bible says, have life. Those who do not have the Son do not have life. Uh, We are never neutral toward Jesus. Uh, We are either moving towards Him, or we're moving away from Him. You are never neutral in your response to Jesus. Because either you see him as he is and you fall down at his feet in worship as the Son of God, or you see something of him and you don't. So we're either moving towards him or we're moving away from Jesus. The Bible says today is the day, not tomorrow, today is the day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. So this whole matter, who do you say I am, is urgent in the gospel According to Mark, at any moment we could be called to stand before our Creator God, stand before the risen, ascended, and reigning King Jesus, and called to answer the question, uh, who do you say I am? And so we ask this morning, do you have an answer to that question? And is that answer rooted in the truth of the breathed out Word of God? Do you have an answer? Well, Mark helps us have an answer to that question. So we must begin at the beginning. So the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we read, uh, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Now, hold on. Stop right there. Wait a minute. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
um, as it is written in Isaiah? I thought the beginning of the gospel was uh, the beginning of Mark's gospel. Uh, No. Um, As it is written in Isaiah, the beginning of the good news message. And you say, well, wait a minute. That's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. What good, uh, maybe you've said this to yourself sometime, what good can come out of the Old Testament? Um, Hopefully you haven't said that. Um, But isn't the Old Testament, wait a minute, the beginning of the Gospel as written by Isaiah, isn't the Old Testament uh, bad news? Isn't the Old Testament about an angry God who gives, you know, all sorts of rules and regulations and the only way to be saved is to obey God perfectly, which nobody can do. He's just a stingy God that has bad news for us. Isn't the Old Testament all about gloom and doom? No, no, no. Mark says, uh, the beginning of the Gospel is not in the New Testament, but in the Old. Uh, He actually quotes here from Malachi and Isaiah, uh, probably... Because he's focusing on Isaiah, that's why he says that it's written Isaiah, but it also comes from Malachi. But you think back to Genesis 3.15 where uh, God gives the promise that uh, one from the seed of the woman is going to come uh, to, uh, to crush or bruise the, the head of the seed of the serpent. And in fact, if you think about the beginning of the gospel, it actually goes beyond even Genesis, doesn't it? Into the, uh, into the mind and, and heart of God. So the good message, Mark says right off the bat here, is well-rooted and has a long history. He mentions Isaiah, verse 3 of Mark 1, uh, is a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3. But the first part is from the prophet uh, Malachi, Malachi 3, uh, verse 1. And so if you have your Bible, you don't have to turn far with me. Just turn back to the last book uh, of the Old Testament. Let's find out uh, what actually is going on here. What is... Uh, Mark mentioning. What's he alluding back to? Well, if you turn back to Malachi 3, uh, verse 1, this is what you will find in the Old Testament prophet Malachi speaking for the Lord. Behold, I send my messenger, Malachi 3, 1, and he will prepare the way before me. And uh, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's what Mark quotes. If you look over just to Malachi 4, uh, verses 5 and 6, we get a little bit more of what was uh, said there by the prophet Malachi along these lines. Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you, the Lord says, Elijah the prophet, before what? What's coming? Well, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Mark uh, alludes to Malachi 3, verse 1. A messenger preparing the way uh, for the Lord. Elijah the prophet will come before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And when he comes, uh, when he comes, I didn't read that part. What's going to happen when this messenger comes? Well, Malachi 4, 6 says this. And he, that is the messenger that comes before the Lord, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's what the messenger who comes before the Lord will do. He's he's coming to turn hearts. Um, Now, Jesus himself in the New Testament, Matthew 17, 
actually, we find Jesus giving a, uh, a divine commentary uh, on uh, this passage uh, that we've just read together. So if you turn over in your Bible, Matthew 17, uh, verses 10 to 13, uh, folks are uh, wondering about an Old Testament prophecy that we just read from Malachi 4, and they, and they asked Jesus about it. So here's a divine commentary on what we just read. And Jesus says, that, or this is what we read, Matthew 17:10. And the disciples asked Jesus, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? Now we just read that, Malachi 4, verse 6. And Jesus answered, Elijah does come, and he'll restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. They did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. That is, remember, John will die. Then the disciples, verse 13, understood that he was speaking to them of John uh, the Baptist or John uh, the Baptizer. This was the Elijah to come. So simply hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, God's people were told, behold, uh, the day is coming. The Lord will come, uh, Yahweh will come, and a messenger will come before him. And, 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 and so you'll know that he's on his way. And then, of course, John quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3, in verse 3 of Mark chapter 1. Back there in Isaiah, the prophet is speaking of how God is going to comfort his people. Remember, they were sent into exile in Babylon. And uh, the Lord himself is going to come in Isaiah 40 and restore his people. He's going to come. And his glory is going to be revealed. And the way needs to be prepared for the Lord as he comes uh, to his people, restores them, renews them, and reveals his glory to them. There's going to be a, his way needs to be made clear. So these are the two verses that, uh, that, uh, that uh, Mark appeals to in the Old Testament. Uh, There's good news right there in the prophets. Now the word prepare in verse 2, Behold, I send my messengers, says Mark, before your face, quoting from uh, the Old Testament, who will prepare your way. So a messenger is going to come, according to the Old Testament, before the Lord, and here that messenger is going to prepare uh, the way the word prepare there it was used for uh, a reference to let's say a Roman senator was going to visit your house or visit your town and uh, you're to take care that uh, at the proper places where he's coming uh, proper guest chambers you know would be arranged that would be to prepare for the way of the Roman senator uh, the messenger would would get all that ready that there was a place to stay um, kind of like what you do when you're going to have guests in your home. You know, you prepare the way. Uh, you make your house super clean. You don't leave underwear on the floor, uh, you know, of your, of your bedroom. You don't, uh, you don't leave the toothpaste out on the counter or something like that. You don't leave toys all over the floor for people to trip over. You, you, you say, okay, no, we need to prepare the way uh, a guest is coming. It means to furnish, equip, make ready. Now, the second time the word prepare means, it's in verse, it's, it appears in verse 3, uh, quoting from Isaiah, um, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, now it's not the messenger doing the preparing, but now it's the messenger uh, crying out to others for them to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, that time the word prepare is used. It's a little different. Uh, the idea there is what is done for kings uh, as they traveled along the road, servants would go before them, uh, removing any obstacles or obstructions that would make the road difficult or impassable. 
And so this is the message you're calling out to folks. Um, you know, the king's coming, senator's coming. Everyone needs to prepare the road. Okay, make it smooth. Get rid of any obstacles, any obstructions, because, uh, because he's coming. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So the beginning of the good news, of the good message here in Mark, then, is, is already written in Isaiah and Malachi, many hundreds of years before Mark was ever alive. And that message, that message was about one who would come before the Lord as a messenger preparing the way, as well as one who would cry out for others to clear the path, clear the path, make ready for his coming. And he, this messenger, would be the voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. It actually is just a voice. There's no, uh, there's no the there. It's just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. This is who God would send. A voice. Really just a mouthpiece. It's not his words. He's just a voice. Crying. Uh, the word means crying aloud. Shouting even. Uh, speaking with a high, strong voice. It's what our, our, well, what we do too, but often sometimes maybe what our children might do. And the Greek word is ba'ao. Uh, it's a great Greek word, ba'ao. And so when you hear your children crying out, they are ba'aoing. That's a great word um, to know. Crying out. It's a word that speaks to, uh, um, you know, a manifestation of deep feeling that comes from the heart. It's not just saying a few words. Uh, this voice, this messenger, is going to cry aloud. He's going to, to, he's going to shout it out. Um, and it's going to come from the heart. Um, it's a message from the Lord. He's just the voice. But it's a message from really the heart of, the heart of God. And so there's going to be a human voice uh, giving vent to the heart of God for the people to prepare the way in the wilderness. The desert, uh, a dry and dusty, desolate, uninhabited place. Well, what's the point here, first of all? Well, the Lord is coming. His way needs to be prepared. Uh, prepare the way. Not a physical road here. The one who comes doesn't need a physical road or a highway or a building. Don't prepare the building. Don't prepare the highway. Uh, don't prepare the road. But clearly, the Bible is saying here, the one who is promised is coming. Hearts need to be prepared. Hearts need to be ready for His coming. And whatever obstacles, whatever obstructions are there that would hinder a ready welcome into your life or into your heart or into your family, anything that would obstruct His, his coming um, needs to be removed. Needs to be gotten out of the way. Now, we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark what those obstacles are that hinder the coming of the Lord into our, into our life. Now, you already know what some of them are. Obstacles like self-righteousness. Why do I need Jesus? I've got life covered. I don't need Him. We'll see that in the Gospel of Mark. Um, why do I need a Savior? Where have I sinned? Obstacles that need to be removed out of the road like complacency, things like this. Um, listen, I've grown up at Faith OPC. I've always been, I've always been here. I'm, I'm, I'm a member on the roll. Um, I took vows years ago. What does, it matter? what does it matter what I really believe today about Jesus? 
I mean, my name's on the roll. Obstacles like unbelief. I don't believe it. Uh, Obstacles like indifference. I don't care what you have to say about the Gospel of Mark or what God has to say through the Gospel. I don't care. Obstacles like idolatry. I have many loves in my life, and Jesus is just one of them. But he is not the dominant love of my life. Those are obstacles, you see. Obstructions uh, to the coming one. And uh, we're going to meet all of them in the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus will confront uh, every one of them. Uh, But the good message has deep roots in history and eternity. The Lord is coming. Uh, Are you prepared? And so, writes Mark in verse 4, John appeared. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 6 tells us more. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Who is this man and what is his message? The Bible simply says John uh, appeared or John is, John is made manifest. He comes. The voice. The year is 26 or 27 A.D. When the voice comes. Jesus is growing up quietly uh, in Nazareth of Galilee. Other than some very early uh, scenes in the life of the birth of Jesus uh, in Matthew and Luke. There's no Bible books, of course, about Jesus as a toddler, teenager, uh, or uh, college and career. You know, something like that. Luke relates one incident at the temple when he was 12, but that's it. Uh, but Luke, uh, in his account of the gospel gives us a little more detail about the, uh, about the context of when John appears. This is what Luke writes. Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. This is history, Luke is saying. You know their names. Uh, and uh, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, Luke 3.1, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, just to nail this further down, says Luke, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. This is the time that the voice comes. John appears baptizing in the wilderness, as we'll learn from Pastor Andrew in the book of Leviticus. The Jews were familiar with various cleansings and washings that had to do with purification. They were familiar with proselyte baptism, that is, Gentiles wanting to identify themselves with God's covenant people. They would submit to a a baptism. And, of course, Christian baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit was yet to come in the gospel history. But here John is is baptizing, we find, in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This this baptism is all about uh, repentance, recognizing sin before a holy God. The word proclaiming is the word keruso. This is what John was doing, proclaiming. Uh, You've got to think of a public crier from former day. It means to publish. Think of uh, the old hear ye, hear ye, uh, or think of the State of the Union address when the Sergeant at Arms uh, announces the President of the United States. Kings have heralds announcing their arrival, and John is a herald 
and the king is coming, and the herald has a message. Who was John? Well, Luke fills in those details, telling us of John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, a relative of Mary. Verse 6 tells us about the clothing and eating habits of John, uh, both of which indicate a a, a simplicity, a, a humility. Uh, The Bible tells us John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, before you get a little squeamish there about locusts, and you're thinking, gross, how can anyone eat locusts? Well, for folks who eat shrimp and mussels and oysters and frog legs and squirrel and scrapple and cauliflower, boy, oh boy, we shouldn't bat an eye. We shouldn't bat an eye at, at locusts. But the point is, of course, while calling people to repentance, everything about John is meant to remind us of the Old Testament prophets. And of course, John will be the last prophet before Jesus. This garment of camel's hair seems to have been the typical clothing. You can read about that in Elijah's day in 2 Kings 1. You can read about it in Zechariah 13. Uh, Luke actually tells us in Luke 180 that um, uh, John was... uh, in the wilderness, so we don't know how long, but in the wilderness, um, uh, when he uh, uh, when he when he got this call, you know, now's the now's the time. He he grew up there in many ways for many many years, perhaps. He was humble, he was simple, and yet Jesus would say of John, and this fellow with this clothing and uh, these eating habits, among those born of women, said Jesus, none greater than John the Baptist. Now, of course, that was because he was preparing the way for the Lord. John himself knew uh, what his role uh, was. And so, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 22, uh, so they said to him, to John, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I am the voice. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. So John knew who he was. A voice crying in the wilderness. Make way for the Lord. So John was a messenger. His message was not his own. And he proclaimed the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That is, this baptism was for all those who were convicted of their sin before God. Who knew that they had turned away from Him. Knew they were going in the wrong direction and knew they needed to turn. Now, here's the interesting thing, of course. This message of a baptism, for, uh, uh, repentance, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, this isn't going out to the general public. This is going out, first of all, to the covenant people, remember. That's what kind of makes it so shocking. Wait a minute. You're calling, and that's in another gospel, we'll find the Pharisees and Sadducees. They come, and, and, and John says, what do you, wait a minute, what do you have to do with this baptism? You're not here to repent. Um, but it was, it was for God's covenant people to recognize their own, recognize their own, their own sin. But the word repentance here means, or is a Greek word, metanoeo, means to think differently or to have a change of mind, a change of heart. Uh, Dr. Craig Troxell, Westminster, California, has written a wonderful little book called With All Your Heart, Orienting Your Mind, Desires, and Will uh, Toward Christ. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And uh, in there he shows how in the Scripture, um, in the Bible, the heart, when we think about the heart, it's not, the heart is not one aspect of our being. 
But the heart actually in the scripture is spoken of sometimes. Uh, sometimes the heart thinks. Sometimes uh, uh, the heart loves. And sometimes the heart wills. The Bible presents the heart as the, the center, not just one aspect, but the center of who we are. Out of it, of course, the Bible says, flow the issues of life. Uh, and so repentance... What's John say? Well, what has to happen here is that there has to be a, a heart change, a reorientation of our thinking, our loving, and our willing. This is what John is saying here as he comes on the scene. There has to be a, a turning of our hearts. Now remember Malachi. Malachi said of what John would do, he said this, and he will turn, he will turn the hearts of fathers in this ministry. He'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. See, that's what his ministry is all about. People, people's hearts turning from off the wrong path, turning back uh, to God. That's pretty amazing. So I was saying here, listen, this ministry of preparing for the way of the Lord, uh, families are going to change. Fathers are going to love their children. Their hearts are going to be turned towards their their children. They're, they're going to want to protect their children from evil. They're going to nurture them in the ways of the Lord and not abandon them uh, to ungodly ways and thinking of the world. Fathers are going to turn their hearts to their children. So they're not going to just uh, let their children be taught confusion and let their children be taught that somehow, though God created you a boy, you might want to be a girl. Or though God created you a, a girl, you might want to be a boy. A father and mother with their heart towards their children will not allow that if their hearts are toward their children. The Bible says, parents, uh, in Proverbs, train up your children in the way they should go. Uh, the Bible does not say, parents, let your children train you up in the way they want to go. You know, that's, that's what's happening in our country today. Hearts are not turned to the children. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's children. You, you show us as parents where you would like to go. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, hearts towards children will lead them and guide them and train them in the way of the Lord. And uh, John also in this turning, well, children's hearts are going to be turned to their fathers and their mothers. They're going to honor their father and their mother. Here's a sign, the Bible says, of a repentant, changed heart. When parents' hearts turn to their children and the hearts of children Loving their parents. That's what's going to happen. There's going to be a change. This is the way the way is prepared. Hearts turn away from sin. Away from rejection of God and His ways. A humbling ourselves uh, before God. Now, of course, Jesus is going to preach repentance later in this chapter. Paul will preach repentance. Uh, repentance is a turning from sin and, in, in a Christian context fully, a turning to Christ. Now, the wonderful thing the Bible tells us, of course, that this repentance itself, like faith, uh, is a gift from God. So in the book of Acts, as the gospel is going out, the gospel comes to the Gentiles and they believe. And then uh, as that's reported back to the uh, Jewish believers, they hear about this story that God's at work among the Gentiles. And then they say something like, oh, well, then it must be true that God has also granted repentance to the Gentiles also. So to have a change of heart, to be turned, 
whether it's to your children, your parents, to one another, to be turned to the Lord and away from sin, uh, whatever the turning of that heart is, that itself, the Bible says, has to be given graciously from the hand of God. Just like faith, which simply means we're dependent on the grace of God. Well, the amazing thing here, of course, is that um, as, uh, as John gives this message, people actually listen. That's, that's the amazing thing uh, about the Bible passage here. Verse 5 says, as he did that, uh, and all the country, verse 5, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, uh, confessing their sins. <laughs> so that's kind, of the, that's kind of the amazing thing. So, so the messenger appears on the scene, uh, preparing the way and calling for people to prepare the way. How do they do that? Well, by repentance for sin, turning away from sin, hearts toward children, hearts toward fathers, hearts toward God. Uh, and as John preaches that, uh, people respond. And they come. And they're baptized in the Jordan uh, as they're confessing their sins. Now, that word confess is a great word. It means to say, it means to say uh, the same thing. It means to say the same thing with somebody. So confession of sin is simply when God says that uh, I'm a broken person and I am living in rebellion against Him and I need to turn, confessing sin is saying what God says is true. I am a sinner. I I have turned from Him and and I, I need a heart change. I am saying the same thing with God. I'm taking God's perspective on my life. I'm viewing my life through His eyes. And then I confess. I say the same thing with God. Yes, a sinner uh, in need of cleansing, a sinner in need of turning, a sinner in need of grace. So this is John, and this is his message. People respond by the grace of God. The way is being uh, the way is being prepared. They're confessing their sins. Now this tells us right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark that my biggest problem and your biggest problem is not that. Uh, and my biggest problem. My biggest problem is not that I'm a dysfunctional person. I might be. Um, my biggest problem is not that I am a victim. I could be. Someone may have sinned grievously against me. That's true. But that's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is not the economy today. My biggest problem is not the government of the United States. My biggest problem is not you. And your biggest problem is not me or anyone else in this church building. My biggest problem is me. My biggest problem stares at me in the the face every morning when I look in the mirror. As you may have read somewhere, a London newspaper in the early 20th century invited readers to write letters to the editor and describe what they thought the biggest problem in the country of England was today. Have you heard this? G.K. Chesterton wrote a very short letter to the editor. It just said, I am. You've heard that. You've read that. I am. That was the end of the letter to the editor. That's what's wrong. Our biggest problem is ourselves. We're sinners before a holy God. And so before the one comes, before the Lord comes, this is how the way is prepared. People recognize it. They are, by God's grace, humble, recognize what they've done, and that they need a heart change that only God 
can give. So the good news rooted deep in history. It's coming. His coming was promised of old. The good news of Jesus is so grand it demands a herald to prepare the way. We need to be ready to receive Him. Obstacles removed, sin forsaken, and hearts turned. But of course, John is not only proclaiming repentance. He's proclaiming Christ. Notice what he says, verse 7. And, this is John, the baptizer, and he preached. So more preaching. It wasn't done with repentance. And he preached this, saying, After me comes he, or the one who, is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, and he preached. You can hear people maybe in the crowd who were hearing John the Baptist perhaps saying to John, preach it, brother! (laughs) And he preached. Eventually, of course, he would die a martyr for what he preached. Again, a proclamation fitting for a king or a military commander. Well, what's the word, John? Well, this is the word. After me comes the one who is mightier than I. After me comes the one who is mightier than I. I'm a messenger, but the one coming, (laughs) the one coming is mightier. I'm not worthy, says John, to stoop down, untie the strap that holds the sandal to his dirty feet. You know that too. That was a job. Not only, you know, you got house servants, Roman times, first century house servants. You know, they help with the meal, stuff like that. And you've got and you've got slaves. Only slaves take off those sandals. And John says, I'm not simply a servant. I'm not even worthy to be a slave. Uh, I am I'm not here. I'm not there. I'm below. When it comes to the one who's coming, he's so great. He's so glorious. I, I wouldn't even think, says John, of, of contemplating, uh, even touching the lowest, dirtiest spot on his body. Yes, I'm baptizing. Baptizing with water for the forgiveness of sins. This is an external symbol, John would say, which, you know, it points to something that has to happen within. That is happening within. You're confessing your sins, but I baptize with water. But when He comes, He Himself can affect heart change. He Himself will change you within. He Himself will uh, baptize you with the Holy Spirit so that you are, you are changed within. Oh, He's much greater and mightier than I. The Greek goes something like... Uh, I myself, you know, Greek has a way to emphasize with its pronouns uh, a contrast, and so it's not in the English here, but it's John saying, I myself have baptized you with water, but He Himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John would say something similar uh, in the Gospel of John, recorded there. John 3, and uh, you know, I think, where I'm going here. John 3... 28, uh, there's this uh, kerfuffle. John's disciples, John the baptizer's disciples are going to get upset in the Gospel of John. They're saying, wait a minute, people are going over to Jesus. You're losing your followers. You know, you're not getting as many followers anymore. They're leaving your sight, you know. Uh, Trouble. 
And John says this in John 3.28, You yourselves, listen disciples, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, that's me, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the, notice this, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete because the one I've been speaking of has come. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must become greater, says John in that gospel. I must become less. That is, he must become greater in your minds and in his authority and in his popularity and his fame. And I must become. It's necessary. That's what the word means. Necessary. I've got to get, get lower. Lower down. As he goes higher and higher. John wasn't looking for a greater podcast following. Or he wasn't charging thousands of dollars for uh, speaking engagements. He didn't demand a talk show and he probably didn't even have t-shirts. It's necessary. Jesus must. This was John the Baptist thinking. Jesus must be constantly growing greater and I must be constantly growing smaller in the hearts and minds and lives of God's people. He is mightier. He is greater than I ever increasing. Did you know the, uh, the largest pumpkin recorded? 2,700 pounds. Did you know the average adult male is 195.7 pounds? That means that the largest pumpkin was actually bigger than uh, uh, the size of 14 men. Largest pumpkin, I think, here uh, in the States. But think about, uh, think about those farmers who, I always wonder about that. Why would you as a farmer want to raise one of those? But think about the farmer caring for that pumpkin, um, watching that pumpkin, looking out the window every day. Is it bigger? Because I want it to, I want my pump, I want it to be bigger. I want it to increase. Larger, larger, larger. Must be what's going on in the mind of that pumpkin farm. You know what's going on in the mind and heart of John the Baptist? Jesus must always, always be getting greater in your mind and in your heart and in your life and in your affections. And you must always be getting smaller. Don't worry about me, says John, the one who's coming. Oh. That's why the church sings today a hymn like this. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And then this line. And may they forget the channel seeing only him. That was the conviction of John the Baptist. It's got to be our conviction right here at Faith OPC. What do the people of our county see when they see professing Christians from Faith OPC? Do they see a lot of you? Do they see a lot of me? Or do they see a lot of Jesus? Forgetting the channel and just somehow seeing only only Him. John, here's the point. John is a signpost to the Savior. He's not the Savior. 
Um, you know, you've been on a trip across the country, you're exhausted, you want to stop at a, a rest stop and you're driving along the interstate, you see that sign for the rest stop and you're so thankful, it says rest stop two, rest area two miles ahead. And so, of course, as soon as you see that sign, you pull over right there by the sign. And you say, oh, no. You see the sign and then you find your rest, the rest area, you see, where you're supposed to stay where you're supposed to go. You don't pull over by the sign. And John, friends, is just saying, don't look at me, look to him. Our hope's not found in a preacher, no matter how famous. Our hope is not found in a husband or wife or child. Our hope is not to be found in any other person than Jesus. We are no one's Savior. That job has been taken, and John knew it. We are not the person someone needs. They need Jesus. We are not the answer Jesus is, don't look at me, says John, look to him. And so, friends, simply, is that your message for your family, your friends, your classmates, your co-workers, your neighbors? Do your children, for instance, that John says are so important here, the family, fathers and children, that, that one of the works of repentance, one of the works of recognizing our need for a Savior is, is families whose hearts are turned to each other. Um, do your children know that there is one mightier, no one more glorious than Jesus to you? Your children know that. No one more glorious, says John, no one mightier than Jesus. Oh, our children need to know that. Our children need to know that. Do your friends know that when it comes to what you believe about Jesus, He is so glorious, He is so glorious that you don't deserve to touch His dirty, sweaty, sand-caked feet. Does your life say to others, I don't find hope and joy and comfort in myself, but only in my faithful, glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No one is saved by coming to church. People are only saved coming to Jesus, whom the church preaches. John is a voice. In many ways, we are voices too. We are prophets, priests, and kings. We are Christians. We are in Christ. We too are a voice. Uh, not now in Judea, not in Jerusalem, but... Um, Right here in Salem County, and in New Jersey, in the United States of America. And we are the ones, too, who are meant to point others to the one who is far greater. You know, We're servants pointing to the Master. We're beggars pointing to the bread of life. We're thirsty pilgrims holding out the waters of life. We're wounded soldiers directing people to the surgeon. We're the chief of sinners, the most wayward of sheep, pointing other sheep to the great shepherd. We are a voice in the wilderness. May we speak then the words that God has given us to speak. Prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus, says John, is coming. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is glorious. And we know Jesus has come. And we know that Jesus is coming uh, again. Prepare your life. Prepare your life. Prepare my life. Prepare the way for the Lord so that when He comes, when He speaks, uh, He would find a ready welcome in a heart that's humbled before Him, repented of sin, and ready to embrace this mighty One who has come. May that be true of you and may that be true of me. Let's pray together, friends. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for this voice in the wilderness. We thank You, Lord, that uh, You sent the messenger ahead 
of the coming of the Lord Jesus to prepare His way and to cry out to the people to prepare their way for the Lord. Oh Lord, there's so many obstacles, obstructions that uh, keep us from uh, receiving into our life and heart, into our affections and mind and will and families even, Jesus Christ who is far mightier and greater than we could ever explain or express. And so, Lord, this morning we simply pray that You would give us something of the sight of the conviction of John. Lord, that we can, when we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, we too would see Him in all His glory, in all His wonder, and that we would make way uh, for Him to come within, for Him to work through us, that others might hear. Uh, the voice of one calling in the desert, make way the path of the Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.